welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Welcome. Great to see you in church this morning. If you're here for the first time, it's excellent to have you with us. And we're actually in the midst of a series. My brother Tony, who leads this church, my name's Peter, by the way, I'm one of the pastors here, but my brother Tony, who, who, who heads up our eldership team, he began a series last week called Upside Down. And he introduced the series by just talking about the fact that every one of us are born into a culture. And there are things that we do and there are things that we like and there are responses we have that reflect the culture that we're born into. Some things you just do because of the way you were brought up. And he mentioned for him, it's about drinking tea. I don't drink tea. I always drank, grew up drinking water. And now I drink coffee. But uh, he, drink, he's a, he was always a tea drinker from the age of two years old. And many of, many of the way we grew up and the things that we like, the food we like and all that sort of stuff, some of our expressions, which may sound a little bit weird to you, but that's what happened in our house. We just sound like our dad sounded sometimes. And uh, so there's a sense in which we are expressions of the culture in which we live. But when we become a Christian, you very soon realise that much of what happens in this world in which we live is contrary to God's kingdom. It's kind of like the biggest culture shock you can have. I mean, if you go to Africa from Australia or perhaps Asia or some other place, it's a culture shock. You've got to get used to different types of food, You've got to get used to different, different um, uh, get used to different, I guess, customs. And you know, you can you can do something here that is, you can totally get away with, and you say the same thing somewhere else, and you're going to really offend someone, bend them out of shape. So you need to sort of quickly learn how to adapt, and 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 what is acceptable and what's not acceptable, and and you need to understand that, that some of the legal systems are different in, in Australia than they are in other parts of the world. And if you don't understand that, you very quickly become will get undone. And so we're looking at a series called Upside Down. And it's talking about the fact that the way that things generally happen in our world is very other than the kingdom of God. Comparatively, it's very upside down or right way up, whichever one you say it, but they're out of kilter. Compared to the kingdom of God, we are upside down. We are inside out. We're the wrong way about. Compared to the world, the kingdom is upside down and so on. They, they, They do not mesh. There's radical changes, radical differences between the two. That's why Jesus used to say, you know, you've heard it said such and such, but I tell you this. For example, you've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, according to kingdom law, kingdom custom, kingdom culture, you love your enemy and you pray for those that persecute. And that's like, wham, that's a slap in the face. You just don't get that. That is totally upside down compared to what we're used to. And so Tone looked last week, because this is a series that's a little bit different for us, in that often we carry a series through like through our morning services or through our evening services, but this one is, is spanning both. And so we had the first part of the series last Sunday morning. Tone spoke about first is last. And then last Sunday night, he spoke, about a, a, spoke a message called Serve to Rule. And so today we're up to the third part of this series. And I would certainly encourage you, by the way, to, to get... Get hold of that because I've just very briefly did an intro, but, but Tone, I think, did a far better um, 
introduction for the whole series in terms of just teasing out the differences between the culture that we live in and, and kingdom culture. So I would certainly encourage you guys to get on the, on the website and download the MP3 or the iTunes message or whatever it is so that you can listen to what Tone shared last week if you missed it. All right, but this week, I want to have a look at a message which we've entitled, Foolishness is Wisdom. Foolishness is Wisdom. Remember what Tone said last week, that, that, that a, a paradox, okay, these things don't make sense. How can foolishness be wisdom? And it's, it's kind of like, what? But a paradox is ultimately a truth standing on its head to get attention. And when we think about it, when we grapple with it, wrestle with it, look from a different angle, we think, ah, now I get it. It does make sense. It is true, after all. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, if you have your Bibles, please turn there. It says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you thinks that he is wise... By the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. So I guess I just want to start this morning by asking the question, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? And the definition I've put up there is it's the ability to discern what is true, right or lasting and to respond accordingly. In other words, wisdom is really just about the responses to the world we live in. The outcomes of those responses will determine really whether something is wise or something, whether something is foolish. If the outcomes are good, a person is perceived to be wise. If the outcomes of a person's choices and decisions and actions are always getting them into hot water, that person is perceived to be not so wise or perhaps stupid or idiotic or something. <laughs> okay, so wisdom and foolishness. These two things are, are sort of placed against each other in this scripture that we've just read. For me, wisdom requires three things. As I read the scripture and and as I just look at life in general, I think there's three things you've got to have to be wise. The first thing you have to have is a good grasp of reality. You need to understand and see things the way they really are. Many people get themselves in trouble because they don't have a good grasp of reality. They build their own little reality and they try and march to a different drum than, you know, than the one that the world's actually operating according to. And if you do that, you're going to get yourself in trouble. If you don't understand finances and you've got this false reality that you're operating in according to your budget, you're going to get yourself in big trouble. But if you understand how finances operate, if you understand what you earn and, and, and how much things cost, and you know, if you understand a little bit about interest rates and all that sort of stuff, you can make some good decisions about finances. The second thing that's important is not just having a grasp on reality, but to have a good or a healthy perspective. And what I mean by that is some things can look really clever in the short term, but when you sort of stretch them out over a little bit longer period, you look like a hero for a day by a decision that you've made, and yet sometimes you, know, you look back six months, or you see the same person six months later, disaster. Or sometimes they're still looking good in six months' time but maybe not a year, or maybe not a decade, or maybe not when they get to the end of their life. And so wisdom, it's about having a grasp on reality, it's about having a grasp, a right perspective. And finally, to me, it's about keeping your feelings in check. Too many people allow their feelings or their emotions to determine their actions rather than a conscious choice of the will based on having weighed up reality and having a good perspective. Many marriage difficulties arise because people are dictated to by their feelings as opposed to what they know is the right thing to do or the right thing to say. 
when there's a stock market crash, many people get themselves into trouble because, again, they know how finances work, but they panic. And they, they sell when they should be buying and they buy when they should be selling and all this sort of stuff. People are dictated to by their feelings. And if their feelings dominate, they end up usually making foolish choices rather than wise ones. So wisdom is pretty easy to define. But I don't know about you, I find it much harder to achieve in my life. And I think part of that is just because of the nature of the world we live in. You live in the same world that I do and it's demanding. It's tempting. It's threatening. It's frustrating. It's a whole bunch of stuff. Things that that are in our face we cannot ignore. The demands and the temptations and the threats of this world, we have to respond to them at some level. And then behind that, behind this, this present actuality that we live in, there stands a greater but not so in your face reality, the eternal reality. And we can't afford to ignore that either. And so somehow we've got to make all these responses, take into consideration the here and now, take into consideration the very present material world, take into consideration all the people that are demanding our time and our, all that sort of stuff. And, we've, and that's all so much there. And yet somehow we need to be taking into consideration eternity as well. Many people, like I said, embrace a level of uh, a wisdom that works at one level but fails totally at another. I said before, if you don't understand the laws of a land, when you go there, you're going to get yourself in big trouble. There are people in jail overseas right now because of the fact they've trafficked drugs into another country. And it's kind of what you can get away with here, you can't get away with in other places. I was watching the TV just the other night and apparently there's this, this new substance on the market. It's basically a, a synthetic marijuana it's called chronic. And because it kind of isn't, doesn't fit neatly into a box just yet, they haven't legislated against it, you've got these guys, these, these industrious young um, punks in Western Australia that have set up a little delivery business. And so within one week, they've got five drivers and they're just running around all over, West, all over Perth just delivering this stuff to people who are just ringing up and saying, oh, have a, however much they want. And, and the, the fact is, you know, we live in a, in a culture that, you know, we just sort of think... <laughs> Good on you guys, you know, and we allow it to happen. It, yes, the laws will probably change, and they said when it becomes illegal, we won't do it anymore. Or when someone whose business they're cutting in breaks their kneecaps, whichever catches up with them first. But the fact is, I don't think you'd be able to hide behind a brand name if you went to Indonesia. They would say, nah, it's drugs, go directly to jail, do not pass go, and by the way, we'll probably kill you for it. That, that is just a different reality than what we're living in right here. And if you fail to get that reality, you can, you can live quite successful. You, you can get by in Australia on one set of rules. But if you don't understand what's going on outside when you go to another place, you can get really in a lot of trouble very quickly. And so the Bible talks about two types of wisdom. There's a worldly wisdom, just as there's an Australian wisdom and an Indonesian wisdom or whatever, and, and laws. There's also a worldly wisdom, something that operates and works in this world. But then there's godly wisdom. And I want to have a look at these two things and then I want to finish off by looking at the greatest fall of all. So firstly, worldly wisdom. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And it says in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly or worldly, unspiritual, of the devil. So there's a wisdom that is earthly and unspiritual. We could say that there's a wisdom that is based on a materialistic worldview. Okay, it, it prioritizes the here and now, the tangible, what you can see, taste, touch, etc. So there's that wisdom. And many of us would think, well, that worldly wisdom originates with humanity itself. But James goes on and says, no, that's not actually the case. That type of wisdom has its origin further back than mankind. It actually, behind man, stands the devil himself. And he is promoting a materialistic type of worldview, a materialistic response or a worldly response to the challenges that this life throws to us. When you think about the devil, and you know, Jesus said unashamedly, the devil is a liar and he's a murderer. When he lies, he's speaking his native language. He goes on, he talks about the fact that the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. You want, you want the devil's you know, five-year plan, 10-year plan, 100-year plan, 1,000-year plan summed up in three words. That's it, kill, steal, destroy. That's all he wants to do to you, to your family, to your friends and to every person that's ever set foot on this planet. And so to me... It's no wonder that worldly wisdom has the the ramifications that it does. Worldly wisdom, give it time, will always result in pain, suffering, destruction, etc. And that's where most of the world is living at, to be honest. Most people live according to that system and think that what is wise is what the world would call worldly wisdom. Being materialistic is simply denying God his rightful place and elevating humanity into that place where we become the masters of our own destiny and ultimately accountable to nobody. That's that's worldly wisdom. Remove God, make it all about me. Make it all about us. Put the future in our hands. That's worldly wisdom. Survival of the fittest. We've all heard that expression. And for many, that is the ultimate reality. And it justifies people putting themselves at the centre of every question, every equation. The only person I can really trust to look out for me is who? Me. And for you, the only person you can really trust to look out for you is you. And if you take that response into a marriage, you're going to have problems in your marriage. If you take that response into your workplace, you're going to have problems in your workplace and so on and so forth. So how does this affect me? What will I get out of it? How does this make me feel? All of those things are the things that people are operating onto. These are the the questions that, that, that are behind worldly wisdom and the decisions that come out of worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom will usually manifest itself in short term gain, resulting in long term pain, usually for yourself, but definitely for others as well. For example, relationships. Tone mentioned this last week, but you know, if we look at relationships, we look at boy-girl relationships, man-woman relationships, the whole try-before-you-buy stuff that's going on out there. Hey, look, if we're operating according to our feelings, if it's all about us, sure, go for it. 
makes sense. When things get tough, find someone else. If it's all about you, go for it. Makes sense at a worldly level. If it's only about how you feel in the moment, if it's all about you, absolutely makes sense in the world today. Dealing with stress. One of the things I hate is that term recreational drug use. To deal with stress. I mean, we know the ramifications of drug use. We know that many people end up with psychotic episodes. We know that many people get suicide. And yet somehow we can still put those words together. That's worldly wisdom. That's craziness, really. But in this world, it's it's determined as wisdom. Purpose. For many people, even if they deny it, they live as if the ultimate goal in this life is to make lots of money. And the Bible says, hey, you'll serve God or money. So many people, even if they're in denial, at the end of the day, what do they do? They work, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep. And really, everything you know, that happens is a little peripheral because what takes the most focus in their life, what's the biggest struggle in their life? It's about money. Parenting. Let your kids do what they like. It's easier. Be their friend. Give them what they want. Worldly wisdom. Easier, takes the pressure off in the short term. Technology. It's assumed that if something can be done, then it must be done. As a result, we're seeing ethics and morality take a back seat to advancement. And usually with little regard for ultimate consequences. I mean, we've all seen the films. We we know where the guys are sort of taking the whole cloning thing and, you know, genetic um, manipulation and all that. You know, I mean, that... That is frightening stuff. And if you get into that realm where it's actually happening before you've actually thought about the ramifications, same with you know, warfare and all those sorts of stuff. You know, just because we can do some stuff doesn't mean we should. But when you've got the dollar driving stuff, when you've got personal pride and ego and all the things that we've, you know, the stuff that's earthly, unspiritual of the devil in operation, go for it. So to summarise, worldly wisdom really is usually pragmatic. It's what works in the here and now. It's self-centred and it's short-sighted. That's a summary of worldly wisdom. Foolishness to God and to Christians, hopefully. But on the other hand, true wisdom is foolishness to this world. And so let's look quickly at true wisdom. James chapter 3, verse 17, just reading on from where we were before. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate, it's submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. (laughs) Doesn't really sound like a way to get ahead, does it, in this life? That looks like a great way to get trodden over, chewed up, spat out, end up at the bottom of the pile, according to the way this world operates, generally speaking, yeah? So that that wisdom, that godly wisdom or heavenly wisdom is often labelled foolishness by people because they have a warped perception of reality. They think it's about the here and now. They think it's about what you can get. They think it's all about them. And so for this other stuff that begins to consider others and think about the future rather than just the here and now, they don't get that. They don't get a God you can't see. So it appears to be foolishness to them because they're taking a relatively selfish and a short-term view of life. And I don't want to be offensive when I say that, but that's just the way that we live outside of God. 
The Christian, however, is supposed to take a long view of life based on ultimate realities. What are our ultimate realities? Well, perhaps our mortality, the fact we're all going to die one day. Our fallen nature, in other words, our tendency to stuff things up, even with our best intentions. God's existence, probably pretty good to take that into consideration. The promise of a judgment and eternal consequences. All of these things are the things that a Christian person should be taking into consideration when they're making decisions. Decisions about jobs and relationships, marriage, all that sort of stuff. They're some of the things that, that sort of sit behind the immediate. How do I feel about this? Will I be able to eat tomorrow? Or you know, what's my future going to be? All that sort of stuff. All the stuff that's, that's in our face. What will people think? Will my parents be happy? All that sort of stuff that goes on you know, at a worldly level. That's all cool. We've got to deal with that. But at the end of the day, that stuff, we cannot afford to allow it to be cl- uh, louder than what sits behind it. The ultimate realities. So it's on the basis of that that we need to look beyond ourselves for wisdom. And we look to God's word for guidance. You know, this book is often called an instruction manual for life. And we, we've spoken many times from this pulpit about how, you know, when you buy a car or you buy a new appliance, it always comes with an instruction manual. It always tells you what you should do and what you shouldn't do if you want this thing to work well and to last. You know, you get a car, it's a good idea to know whether it's a diesel or a petrol engine. Because if it's a diesel engine, you put petrol in the petrol tank or in the diesel tank fuel tank (laughs) you're going to have problems and likewise if you get it around the other way so we need to know what we're supposed to put into this life but we also need need to know what to keep out of the life as well and again you can't just whack any old thing in the fuel in the oil filler on the top of your engine in the car it's designed for oil and a certain viscosity of oil and all that sort of stuff it has certain properties to make the thing work properly you just shove treacle in there because it looks the same you're not going to get the same results. You're going to mess up your car. And likewise, if we ignore this and we don't put into it what God says to put into it and we do put into it what God says not to put in it, we're going to stuff up our lives. Simple as that. So some examples. We go back to those relational examples. We said before that worldly wisdom is about try before you buy. Sleep around. Don't make a commitment. Have a string of relationships. Sow your oats, whatever, you know, just that sort of stuff. When things get tough, find someone else. That's a worldly view of relationships. That's worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom is totally the opposite. Godly wisdom says abstain from sex before marriage, then get married. And it's one man, one woman for life. It's Two people coming together who've kept themselves pure, who don't have to worry about a whole bunch of diseases or comparisons or people who might knock on the door one day saying, is this yours? (laughs) For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for as long as they both shall live. That's that's God's plan. One honours the person and says, hey, we're in this for good, and I love the way you look, I love the way you smile, I love all that stuff about you, but I can't guarantee that's always going to be that way. But my commitment to you transcends that. It's greater than that. And so if you get sick or I get sick, we're in this together. We're going to see it through. The other reduces a person to something to do. Something that makes me feel good for a moment. 
One's worldly, one's godly. One provides a secure environment for raising children. It doesn't matter which way you look at it, you cannot get past a married couple, man and woman, living together for life, to provide the best possible environment for raising kids. Will there be issues in marriage? Absolutely. doesn't mean things will be perfect, but it is still the best solution. It's the best option out there. And it saddens me today that you've got... You know, it's, I'm, a, I'm a dad. I've got five kids. I know parenting's not easy. I don't know what to do without Sally Ann. Hopefully she doesn't know what she'd do without me. <laughs> I cannot conceive of how hard it would be and I know there's people here that are raising kids a single seriously that is serious that is like mate hats off that is going to be one of the hardest things on the planet I reckon but why would you choose to do that deliberately and even if you think you can pull it off and even you've got all good intentions about being a great parent you can never be a mum and a dad God's created us male and female for a reason and there are certain characteristics of God that are more, more readily identified in the male person and there are others that are identified more readily in a female and so when those come together as a husband and wife and a parents, a kid gets the best of both worlds. But if you've just got a male or a female on their own or maybe two females and two males or whatever else it looks like in these days because it seems you can do whatever you like, what about the kids? They're going to miss out on something. It doesn't matter how you, how you slice and dice it. doesn't matter. At the end of the day, there's going to be a missing out. And it's going to be the result of someone's selfishness. Worldly wisdom. Purpose. Mentioned before, many people are living as if making money and much of, uh, lots of it is the most important thing in life. Said before, the Bible says we'll serve God or money. People often, in their pursuit of money, take into consideration the following realities. The reality is, money ultimately cannot buy happiness. The richest people in the world are not the happiest people in the world. They're not. You know that. You can, you can, you can access any number of studies that will show that. You can go to another country, a poor country, and see plenty of happy people, if you don't believe me. The evidence is there. And often, riches come at too high a price, relationally. You get rich at the expense of your wife or at the expense of... There's plenty of rich people whose kids hate them or are isolated from them and don't want a bar of them. Too high a price physically. And even when you do get as much as you can get, it's never enough. We live in a world where there's what's called the law of diminishing returns. It means what satisfies today will not satisfy tomorrow if it's all about getting stuff or doing things. And at the end of the day, behind all that, the ultimate reality, you can't take any of it with you. <laughs> when you leave this world, it all stays here. That's worldly wisdom, though. You try to ignore that. Or be unaware of that, if you can. Godly wisdom keeps money in perspective. It understands that much of what brings joy in life can't be bought. It recognised that finding and fulfilling God's purpose is more important than wealth. It recognises that we'll have an internal inheritance. 
if we don't chase riches here but are prepared rather to live a generous lifestyle and be giving. Peter had that question, Jesus, what about us? We've given up our houses to follow you. Jesus said, don't worry. You'll have a hundred times more in eternity. We'll live with a sense of God's approval. We'll just live with a sense of all is well with the world for us because we know God's favour is upon us because we're living according to his way and his wisdom. Parenting. Many people today have kids in order to pay someone else to bring them up. I don't get that. I mean, I know that there's financial pressure today. Like, I know it's not easy with house prices being what they are and, you know, all that stuff. It's not easy. But many people live beyond their means as, as, by their own choice. They haven't exercised financial wisdom. And so they find themselves in a position where they've got a house that's bigger than they need, a mortgage that's bigger than they can really afford. And so you find two people, man and woman, who grew up, who, sorry, who, who came together in order to have a, a marriage and enjoy one another's company for the rest of their lives, who become strangers... And when they do see each other, they're stressed out and irritable with each other. In the midst of that, they've got some kids who need looking after. I know what we'll do. We'll send them to childcare. We'll send them here. We'll send them there. And so these little strangers and aliens grow up in your house. They don't reflect your culture. They don't reflect your values, your morals, anything else. They reflect someone else's culture, someone else's morals, someone else's values. And then one day when you wake up to yourself and think, mate, these little kids need a good flogging. (laughs) Sorry. They need a... Little tap on the backside because um, I don't actually like the way they're behaving at the moment. And you do that and they take you to court because this world that they've learnt about says you can't do that anymore. And that's a reality in some countries. It's not quite here yet, I don't think. But in some countries, you cannot hit your children. Again, hit your children. We're not talking beating up your kids, we're talking about just some discipline. When, they, when they're not old enough to have a chat with and, you know, reason with and all that sort of stuff, there's just got to be a quick tap on the backside. We'll help them. Oh, that, I didn't like that. I don't think I'll do that again. That, that's all it's about. Discipline 101. <laughs> God's wisdom recognises it's a tremendous privilege to have kids and a responsibility and will implement boundaries and consequences, etc., that are appropriate, age appropriate, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, recognising that while it sucks, while it's hard, while it's painful, while I look like the bad guy, while my kids don't get me, it's worth it in the long run. That's some examples of godly wisdom sort of put against worldly wisdom. Does that make sense? To me it does. And the Bible is full of that stuff. I would encourage any person who's here, whether you're a believer currently or not, to just have a look at what the Bible has to say about some of the big stuff you're dealing with in life. If you've got financial issues, you will find wisdom in here for that. Relational issues, you'll find wisdom in here for that. In terms of choices for your future, it's all in here. Thirdly, I just want to have a look at the ultimate fool. Jesus, God's fool. Entitled it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. If you want to turn there, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
Perhaps while I'm just sharing this, if we could have our attendants come and just hand out our elements for communion. We're going to just in a minute celebrate and remember what Jesus has done on our behalf as believers. And if you're not a believer, um, and this is something that we as believers do, you don't need to take the bread or the cup when it goes past. But I would certainly encourage you to use the time to reflect on what I'm sharing about. Because in a minute we're just going to eat and drink together and continue to worship. But if you think about Jesus from a purely worldly perspective, honestly, he seems like the greatest fool that ever lived. Someone at best to be pitied and at worst to be despised for his stupidity. You think about it. I mean, what a waste of potential. We're all about potential today. You know, fulfill your potential, all that sort of stuff. You can do anything. The world tells us. It's not true, but that's what the world tells us. Anything you put your mind to. Well, I don't know. I reckon Jesus could pretty much do anything he put his mind to, just based on the record we have of his life. Had so much going for him. Surely, with that level of gifting, when you look at what actually happened, it's a waste, an absolute waste. People look at Jesus today that have done some communication courses or some politics or some counselling or some philosophy or psychology and say, man, Jesus, if only he'd have been a little bit more politically correct or people savvy. If he just knew how to speak to people differently, mate, he could have really made a difference. Who knows? He could have brokered peace in the Middle East. If he'd have just, if he'd have just sort of, you know, gathered the people together slightly differently rather than offend them all the time, if he'd have just got everyone on side, the Romans would have had to listen. They would have had to send an envoy. You know, they could have had a discussion and maybe could have organised the peaceful withdrawal of Roman troops from Israel because Jesus, you know, good guy that he was, a man of his word, could be trusted. I don't know. You don't think like that? Hmm. You read what Jesus is doing, so you think that does not make any sense compared to how we're operating on a daily basis here. I mean, Jesus, who could feed 5,000 people by tearing up a few little bits of fish, and I mean, imagine if the Romans had tried to take him out. He could have turned them into bread and fish and they could have eaten them. I mean, seriously, what what would they do? (laughs) What a waste. What a waste that Jesus didn't take the normally expected pattern of this world. He didn't throw his weight around. He didn't say, look at me and I'll show you who's boss around here. He didn't. How foolish is that? How stupid in the world's eyes. He could have had a family. Imagine if Jesus had been a family man and instilled his wisdom into his kids. What a genetic legacy it would have left the world. All the gifts and talents of Jesus Christ still on the planet today through, our, through his DNA. Awesome. But instead he chose to squander it on a cross. That is foolish. And if we look only on the surface of things, what I've said, is, as shocking as it might sound to the majority of you as Christians, you know, to even use the word fool and Jesus, that's what the Bible says. 
The world perceives what he did as foolishness. It perceives him as a fool. goes on to talk about us as fools. Paul said, you know, we are fools for Christ. Not that we're really fools, but that's the way people think about us. Because we believe in something we can't see. We choose a lifestyle that's more difficult than the average for the most part because you know, it's not about getting for us. It's about getting for us that we can give to others. If you can get for us, you know, keep it for yourself. That's what the world says. That's wisdom in their eyes. But the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, that all the wisdom of God is hidden in Christ. What appears on the surface to be the height of foolishness was actually a master stroke of genius from God. And the stupidity and the crudity and the carnage of a guy that was unrecognizable hanging on a piece of wood 2,000 years. I mean, even that's crazy. Like, you know, if Jesus had any say in it at all, if, you know, like come in the 21st century, Jesus, at least we can put you on, on Facebook or YouTube or something. More people will get to hear about you. And yet, not in God's plan. That's foolishness in God. He puts Jesus in, the, in a little backwater called Jerusalem, Israel, and just sees him shredded with a whip and then hung on a cross. in order that the effects of that, misunderstood as they were at the time and still are, could just ripple out across the face of the whole planet and affect people who lived before Jesus, during him, and after the time he left this earth. The Bible talks about, in Romans chapter 12, I think it is, it talks about how God's bound all, uh, chapter 11, how God's bound all people over to disobedience. Let me turn there. So in a sense, it's God's fault. He knows that we can't help ourselves. He knows we're going to do the right thing. And it was kind of like, I'm not even going to give it to chart. I'm not even going to give these guys the opportunity of doing the right thing because some might get it, some won't. And therefore, some will definitely end up in hell and some may make it to heaven. But God says, no, I'm going to put them all in the same basket. I'm going to institute a plan that makes it all to the point where they cannot help themselves they all come under my judgment in order that I can have mercy on them all through Christ what other plan what other means of salvation could have such far reaching effect you think about it what else could you institute other than faith it is by grace that you've been saved through faith this not of yourselves is a gift from God so that no one could boast It's about believing that Jesus Christ came and died in our place. We were sinners worthy of death. Jesus came and died in order that we might have life. If we will accept that, we will be saved. Jesus said, come like a little child. He's just sweeping away all the obstacles in that sort of thing. Because otherwise it's like, have you got enough money to get into heaven? Are you clever enough to get into heaven? Have you got the right breeding to get into heaven? Do you know enough? Have you performed enough rituals to get, etc, etc. There's all these other systems and ideologies and thoughts that come into it when people think about getting to God and God says, no, I'm not making any of that. What about the intellectually disabled? Come like a little child. Just believe. What about the physically disabled? They don't have to climb anywhere. They don't have to go anywhere. They just have to believe. God's awesome. No wonder Paul finishes chapter 11 with this. After just talking about the, the wisdom of God and and um, 
the fact that he's bound all people over to disobedience. And it kind of sounds weird and stupid and foolish. But he finishes with this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It goes on and says, It is the wisdom and the power of God. Let's stand. For those that are perishing, God's offer of salvation is ridiculous. It's ridiculously simple. It's ridiculously gracious. It's just crazy at every level. But to us who have believed and received, it's the power of God for our salvation. It overcomes any obstacle between us and an eternal relationship and dwelling place with God. God's power is demonstrated. If anyone thinks he is wise, I started reading at the start of this message, by the standards of this age, he should become a fool that he might become wise. Being a fool for Christ doesn't mean you are a fool. It just means that you look like one to those who don't get it. In fact, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you miss that bit, you don't even start. You haven't even rolled your double sixes yet to get in the game. I want us to continue to worship in a minute. And again, just sometime during the course as we sing, just take time to give thanks for what Jesus has done on your behalf. He's removed your sin. He's brought you back into a relationship with the Father. And he's opened up a future for you that never would have been possible otherwise or in any other way. So take some time to give him thanks. Take some time to give him praise as you eat and as you drink. And remember that though he looked foolish and it looked ridiculous and defeated the first time he came, that he's coming again and the whole world will see him and the whole world will know exactly who he is. Let's worship. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.